Hey, it was only a couple of weeks ago, well, about a month or so, when we had Morag's daughter here and her son-in-law, and they were talking about going to Cambodia. Cambodia, if you've read The Killing Fields, Living Fields, Cambodia in the 70s knew genocide of a grand scale. Of its 8 million population, a quarter of that were killed in the most vile and gruesome ways under the reign, under the tyrannical reign of Pol Pot. You know, what does, what does it look like to live in a place where there's a void of God? That. You know, not many of us have been in an environment that is void of God. But that's what it looks like. And it's, it's a place where there's exploitation, corruption, abuse of power, and it always ends in genocide. But whenever there's a vacuum of God, it ultimately leads to genocide. And so as we look at the book of Esther, we're going to see a world like Cambodia, a world where God is pushed to the periphery or replaced with so-called gods that are not real. And we're going to see what it looks like. And we're going to see that it's a place of, over the next few weeks, that we're going to see it's a place of exploitation, corruption, abuse of power, and finally, genocide. Or at least an attempt on genocide here. So we're just going to enter the chapter. We're not going to get far. And we're just going to pick up really a, a, a periphery point. One of the things you're doing in a sermon, and one of the things I was taught at college, you know, one of the things I'd pass on if I had the opportunity, is that when we're preaching the Bible, and say we take a chapter of the Bible, you're looking for the main theme. You're looking for the big picture. You know, you know what's the key thing? And as a preacher, uh, your job is to bring out the main theme, the main picture. You know, now we're not going to really do that this morning because we're only really entering the chapter. So I want you to really to see this whole series as the main theme. Okay, so what our main theme will come across, across the series and each little insert, each little exploration will just pick up one of the sub-themes, one of the peripheral themes. And that's what we're going to do together this morning, just picking up something that's at the periphery. And here's the heading, okay? And this is what we're looking at this morning. The extravagance and pomp of world empires finally come to nothing. So it's really what we're, what's coming across here at the beginning of the book here. The extravagance and pomp of world empires. This is all we're going to see today. Finally come to nothing. Here's how it begins, verse 1. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. Uh, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. Okay, this was a vast empire. We'll have the, the picture up there. Look, it's vast. I don't, know, I don't know what you can see from back there. But look, we've got India. It's all the way over in the far southeast. It, it's not India as we know it now. It, it's South Pakistan. Uh, that's what was included. It goes as far as east, um, the east there, South Pakistan, okay, or India as it's referred to, all the way over to the west here, Africa and Sudan. Okay, that's how wide this empire was. It was huge, it was colossal. And, and 
And here's the Xerxes, he's running over all of this. You know, you know, this is a vast territory. Verse 2, at the time King Xerxes reigned in his royal throne, at the time in the citadel of Susa. So Susa is one of the Persian capitals. There were many. And, and they were, I guess, a bit like, look, if you had the money and if you uh, uh, had, uh, you know, the liberty to do it, at different parts of the year, you may move across Australia. I mean, in the winter, you may, I don't know, where would you go in the winter? You'd go up to Darwin, I suppose, wouldn't you? And then in the summer, you'd, where would you go in the summer? Tasmania, or up on a mountain somewhere. And you'd move around, wouldn't you? I'd obviously do the reverse. <laughs> oh, I'm following the sun whenever I can. So, so these kings moved around their palaces depending on the climate, depending on the weather. And, and so, and not only that, Susa was one of the administrative capitals. It's where Nehemiah is. When, if you read the book of Nehemiah, he's there. And, and so King Xerxes is in, his, in the citadel of Susa. In verse 3, we're told that he gives a banquet for all his nobles and officials. And look, here's where a bit of extra biblical knowledge comes, about, uh, comes in handy. So here's what historians tell us. This is around 483 BC. Well, so how long ago? Two and a half thousand years ago. It's describing events of the reign of this king. He reigned for 27 years. The book of Esther covers 10 years. It's the third year of his reign and he's, and he's given out this huge party. Anybody given out a huge party lately? I've been to some parties lately. But we've had parties, haven't we? I'm sure. You know, when you're standing at the front, your mind just doesn't function the same way. I've been to parties recently. I forget whose. Was it your birthday party, Ellen? No, it wasn't yours, was it? Yeah, of course. But Did I have been. Have a New Year's party? Yeah, maybe. Somewhere. Yes, of course, Sangpians. Uh, here we go. It's all coming back, you see. Those gray, those gray cells are working. Look, here's the point. He throws this massive party, and it's big. Listen to this. The military leaders of the Persia and Media, the princes, the nobles, and the provinces of the provinces were present. And look, this is how long it lasts. It lasted for 180 days, for goodness sake. I mean, I mean Indians have their big week-long weddings, don't they? Aussies have their afternoon weddings. You know, six months. I mean, that's a, that's a big function. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor of his majesty and the particular people in view. Listen, the military leaders, verse 3, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes, the nobles of the provinces. Have a guess. What's this about? What's going on? Why? Uh, there's some clue there. The military leaders, he wanted them to be there. The princes, he wanted them to be there. The nobles of the provinces. And he throws this massive, ostentatious, okay, six-month-long you know, feast. You know, look, he was told that they drank in gold goblets. You know, each one was you know, individually fashioned. You know, in, in, in an amazingly decorated place with vast decorations, you know, you know, what's going on? Why? Have a guess. Um, he was trying to, like, suck them in. And yes, he was. He was. Why? Why? Um, 
You get, so that they do what they were told. That's part of the answer. Someone else build on that. She's getting there. Yeah, there's that, there's that in it, but there's actually something much... Yeah, there's some of that, and there's more, there's more. So, yes, he wants to prove his power. Why? Have a think about this. Is you movie watchers, 300. Okay, there's a clue. So he can conquer more. Yeah. He's going on a campaign against Greece in a couple of years from then. Against Athens, its capital. Acting strong. Yeah, and, and thank you. And what he's doing, can you see what he's doing? Hey, if you want to launch a military campaign, what do you need? Military. Yeah, you need your kingdom to be behind you. You need people behind you. You need people to rally to your support. You need people who will follow you, who trust you, who, you've, who are your best chums. What is he doing? He's buying friends. So what's going on here? He's buying support. He's throwing the biggest party, the longest party, the most ostentatious party, because he's about to release a massive campaign against Greece. Which incidentally, he loses. After all that bravado and pomp and show. In fact, Xerxes begins the downfall of the Persian Empire. With his, he's assassinated some, some 20 years from this position and with his death begins the crumbling of the Persian Empire. And just within a hundred years of Xerxes and his campaign against Greece and his bravado and his pomp, within a hundred years, an empire a whole empire that rule across the vast globe is brought to nothing. By who? You, you know this, don't you? Alexander the Great destroyed the army of the Persians and began his own reign. And so we see, friends, don't we? So here, here's the, I said it's a periphery point. Here's the point we're making is that we see this great vast empire that everyone feared. And here's this king, you know, flaunting his wealth and power, buying mates so, so he can lead campaigns for... You know, because it's never enough, is it? It's never enough that he, he's conquered almost the whole globe. He wants more. And, and nations are in fear. Boy, you didn't cross the empire. And yet, let me ask you, what influence has the Persian Empire got over you, Lorraine, today? Nothing. Nothing. Who cares here about Xerxes? You don't even study him at school, do you? Unless you go to Bible college. Okay? Yeah. Or do philosophy or something. Oh, not philosophy, or something else. Okay? The point being, with all that show, it's come to nothing. And this is the history of things. Look at the, well, what's the mightiest of all empires that's been in, in human knowledge? Rome. Rome, okay, lasted. Do you know how long the Roman Empire lasted? 1,500 years. At its height in the second century, it dominated almost the entire globe. 
And who came up against it? <laughs> is that right? I don't know. I wasn't thinking about that. But I mean, and but in the in, in the first century, who came up against it? The church. This little David against a Goliath. Okay, and eventually, that kingdom succumbed. In fact, it embraced Christianity at least a form of. But the point is, fifteen hundred years later. Where is Rome now? What influence does Rome have today? None. None. It's a little Mediterranean country. And it's not just that. I mean, when you look at the conquest of Spain, you look at the Russian Empire. I mean, that happened in my lifetime. I was a little kid at the time. The Russian, great Russian Empire? All broken up. Now, the Russian Empire, Hitler. I mean, look at the advance. Hitler made. In just a short time. What influence has the, have, do the Nazis have today? None. None. And here's the thing. You don't get shot for this. But the great United States of America. One day. Hey, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. That's the biblical phrase. Okay. But one day, the great... United States of America, you won't know anything about it. Somebody's kids, your kids, 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 perhaps, will go, what? The US of A? What's that? You see the point? And if a China is next in line, you know, to take the mantle of the next superpower, you know, and it's all talking and all fear, hey, it may escalate. But eventually, the United States of America and whoever follows, if it's China or whoever else it may be, will eventually collapse. You see, none of them last. They have their moment. They have their season. And they can, they can show all their pomp and power and run whatever campaign they want. But what, what comes of all of them? They all come to nothing. And, you know, that's important for us Christians to remember, just before I move on. Hey, you know, I I hear all the talk about, oh, you know, this country, this nation is going to get in. Hey, don't worry yourself, okay? Don't worry yourself with all that. Whatever becomes of whoever's going to be the next superpower, it won't last. It won't last. They all collapse. And here's the point that we're making, friends. Here's the point that we're making. There's a king and a kingdom whose reign and whose empire never ends. That's that's what this is about. That's what all these stories are included in the Bible. They set the contrast. Here's what's said about this one. He goes, I will establish the throne of his kingdom. How long will his kingdom be established for? Forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Whose throne is this? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. 
And his throne, we're told, will last forever and forever and ever. Look, you're not going to remember Hitler in a few generations. Time. Who, you know, there's a lot of Trump talk about Trump. You know, in a couple of generations, no one will remember him. Or Biden, or Clinton, or whoever. Okay? No one's going to remember any of these people, not even the great British Empire. Okay? But there's an empire. There's a kingdom, rather, and a king who's reign. Here's an old hymn by Isaac Watts, and he sums it up brilliantly. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. You know this hymn? His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. Hey, Jesus' kingdom will last. He is lasting forever. He's the real king. He is above any president that's ever held power in America. Above any president, prime minister. What's Scott Morrison? Boy, this is a real senior moment. Prime Minister. Yeah, yeah, we don't have those here, do we? Presidents. Okay, he's above any other prime minister that's ever ruled in Oz. He's above any power that's ever been anywhere. He is the one. Look, if we can just go back a slide, please, uh, Ricky. All, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus holds the seat of power. It's something that's been transferred to him. Who held it before him? Who's always held it? God. Thank you. Okay, so there has been a transition of power. Jesus has come into power, but it's only a transition from father to son. It's the same kingdom. It's the same empire. Now with Jesus reigning over it. And here's what Revelation 11 tells us. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That's Revelation 11. What is that telling you about Jesus' reign now and Jesus' reign then? Have another listen. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever but what's that telling you about the kingdom of Jesus by Revelation 11 well it's coming into its fullness can you see that is that what you said can you see Revelation 11 the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord so we see the reign of Jesus is an invisible reign he was exalted to his reign at the cross or after the cross, okay? But by Revelation 11, that invisible reign has become a physical, tangible reality on a physical realm. Can you see the point? So the point is, Jesus' empire, or his kingdom rather, is in existence now. He is king now. Is an invisible reign. But by Revelation 11, that reign and that kingdom and that king will be a real physical actual reality hey one day in the corridors of power in a physical corridor of power it won't be scott morrison bless him it'll be jesus christ reigning from his throne do you know christian one day we will experience 
the physical and visible reign of Jesus in a world that will be an actual physical kingdom of God. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. And so here's the point. The extravagance and pomp of world empires finally come to nothing. But Jesus' his reign is forever. Look, Esther tells us that. We're going to see what this world looks like. You know, it'll be very similar to our world. One of the reasons Esther is such a permanent, pertinent book for us is so, real, is so real to our situations. But what it shows us is that these kingdom and these powers don't last. So the first thing is, don't get unsettled by what's happening across the world. And there's a transition of a power in the United States of America at the moment. But hey... There'll be elections here and there may be a transition of power here. But hey, you know, you know, other things will change in other countries. But hey, China may become the next superpower. But hey, can you see the point? We have to remember that they ultimately come to nothing. Here's the thing. Look, I'm very excitable. If you haven't worked that out, it's a fact. Okay? Don't get too excited. Don't panic. Let things work themselves out. Okay? Hey, stay cool. Calm down. Take it easy. We used to have these adverts in the UK. Cadbury's Caramel. I don't know if we get those here. Do we have those here? I don't eat chocolate anymore, you see. So I don't know. Uh, but it's, and you know, one of these, a rabbit used to break one open. And I think it went, you know this, Pippa. And what was it? Yeah. And, you know, relax. I, I can't even remember now. You know, but it was about relaxing with the Cadbury's caramel. Hey, Christian, relax. Don't get worked up. And a number of Christians I see who are all worked up by what's happening over there and what's happening over there and what's happening over there. Hey, hey, calm down. They all come to nothing. They rise and everyone gets all excited. And this is a sign, it's the end. And then it's over. Calm down. Hey, just, just let things pan out. Jesus is the only thing that's certain. Every other thing changes. Don't put your money on anything. If you want to put your money anywhere, stick it on Jesus. Don't put it on anything else. Because none of us can read the time. None of us knows what's really happening. None of us knows what's going to happen with the US of A or with China or with Australia. And it's not our concern. It's the first thing is, is hey, just, just calm down, right? You know, me included. Uh, let's not get too excited. And let's see Jesus' purpose for them, number one. Number two, here's a reality. Jesus may be reigning, but my life looks a mess. Do you ever feel that? Jesus may be reigning, but there's not a lot happening in our church. Jesus may be reigning, but my little world is a right mess. You don't have to go to my office on a Monday morning and work next to that person. Really, you don't have to do that. 
I, was, I don't know who I'm thinking of here. Was you, Morag. I have to work alongside Morag. One of my congregation members. You don't have to do that every Monday morning. I do. Okay? Or whoever else may be. Or you may be thinking, hey, Jesus may be reigning, but you haven't got these medical conditions that I have. You're not waiting for surgery. You have no idea what it's like to battle cancer. You're telling me Jesus is reigning. You may say, oh, sorry, you say Jesus is reigning, but you haven't seen my finances. I can barely make ends meet. You haven't seen a state of my mind. I may look like everything's okay, but inside here it's turmoil. You don't know what my life's like. I may smile on church on Sunday morning, but it's just a clown's face. You see, you see the point? You know, some of us can relate to one of those things I've just said. Jesus may be reigning, but it doesn't look like, look like that in my life. I'm lost. I can't figure this out. I'm confused. I don't know where this is going. I'm in pain. I'm perplexed. I'm bewildered. Hey, hey, hey. This is Jesus' word to you, to me. Okay, however it may look, however distant Jesus may seem from my personal reality, the one I've got to go into when I leave this building, the one I've got to face tomorrow morning, the one I've got to face tonight, the one I've got to face next appointment. You see, however that may look, and however, Jesus, however distant Jesus may seem from my world, and however Jesus' reign may just look like for the big things. You know, sometimes it just looks like Jesus is only interested in the big picture. In the presidents. <coughs> however much it may look like that. Hey, Mark 16. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. Look, if I were to sit down there... You'd be excited, wouldn't you? It's like, finished early today. <laughs> okay? Because when I sit down, my work is done. Okay? Okay? When Jesus sat down, his work began. He is reigning. He is working. He is overseeing. He is exerting power over the detail of your life. He's not just interested in the macro. He's so incredible, so sophisticated, so amazing that Jesus can simultaneously do macro and what's the opposite of micro? Macro, micro. He can do macro and micro simultaneously across billions of people, across the universe that's trillions of light years wide. He can do that. And however much he's interested in what's happened just in the US of A, he's just as much interested, Lorraine, in the intrinsic detail of every single aspect of your life. Because he reigns. In fact, we're told this. Look, you know when we, when we 
pray Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not wishful thinking. Neither is that something that's trying to kickstart Jesus is right. When we pray those prayers, your kingdom come, your will be done. This isn't like a desperate plea. Jesus, everything is chaos here. My life's chaos here. Please come. No, it's just affirming a reality. It's affirming something that's already real, already tangible. Jesus is already reigning, dominating, ruling, overseeing, taking care of your life. Your, his kingdom has come, is coming is in your life, is being done in your life. And Christian, I want you to remember that. I want you, that's what I want you to take away this morning. That he's not just doing the macro stuff, that he's doing the miniature. When he says in 1 Peter, cast all your cares on him, it's followed by this. Because? Because? He cares for you. That's why. He knows. He knows. He's interested. He's interested in every single detail. And so look, here's what Psalm 139 tells us. I'm going to finish with this. Psalm 139. There's a plan. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, okay, when Jesus was creating us, listen to this, it's one of the most powerful, magnificent verses in all of the Bible. Your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is personal. This is from one person, from one little man to one God. Okay. Okay. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What's that telling you? What's that saying? That Jesus has a blueprint for your life. Hey. Your life is not random. However it may seem, your life is not random. Your life is not chance. You are not some accident. The things that are happening in your life are not only the direct effects of the decisions that you may be making. There's a bigger picture. There's a, a blueprint that Jesus is working to. And your little life and my little life are working to a very specific set of plans that were written before there was a single day of my existence. The whole thing was charted, drawn, planned, set in place. Every detail of my life, every single day, every single moment, someone, God, took an interest in, shaped, formed, laid out purposefully because of love, because of care. He set it all out. He had the whole thing in place. And after he had the whole thing mapped out, after then, he made you. And set the whole thing going. Hey, your life is planned. Okay? Planned meticulously by the greatest mind the universe has ever seen. You matter. You have purpose. Your life makes sense. 
Your life is going somewhere. Your life has a trajectory that God has designed. And everything, however contrary it may seem right now, everything is holding to course. And it will get to its destination. And there's going to be no transition of power. You see, the worst thing that can happen is when things are heading in the right direction, all of a sudden you have a change of government. There's no change. Jesus shall reign forever. And so you can be sure, whatever he's doing, whatever he's begun, and there won't be any pomp, there won't be any extravagance, okay? there won't be any show, because he doesn't work like that. But quietly and subtly, he's bringing about his purpose for your life. You see, the extravagance and pomp of world empires finally come to nothing. But Jesus reigns forever in you, in your little world, as well as our big world.